And it is going to be covered by the Saints for a touchdown. It's your inside pass to everything Saints football. Jimmy Graham brings it down. And that is a touchdown, New Orleans. We'll take you to places most fans never go. To practice, to the sideline, to the locker room. Following every twist, turn, and touchdown of the Saints season. That is going to be a touchdown. Taysom Hill. Taysom TD. Welcome to Inside Black and Gold. And that is going to be a touchdown again. And guess who? Mike Thomas. Now, here are your hosts, Steve Geller and Jeff Nowak. Oh, baby. Welcome inside Black and Gold, where all the cool kids hang out. Steve Geller along with Jeff Nowak. Another 2-0 edition as we get ready for week three in Lambeau Field. But we won't have a frozen tundra, luckily, for the black and gold and for Jeff, who will be heading out there Saturday. Yes, it'll be just the tundra, not a a frozen tundra, tundra. a thawed-out grass tundra. So David Bakhtiari will be happy. And yes, we're going to get complaints. You know, I've been getting into people with Twitter, uh, with people on Twitter all, all, all week since the game ended. They're all unhappy that Taysom Hill was used too little, but somehow too much at the same time. They're annoyed that Pete Carmichael has called too many shot plays, but also not enough at the same time. It's fascinating. So, you know, I I didn't have time to go through a full film review this week, but I did get through some of the plays, particularly, you know, those plays, because I was curious, you know, the the one play in particular that people, I sound like Charles Barkley right there, in particular, uh, (laughs) that that people were annoyed with was a third and two play late in the game where they took a shot play to Rashid Shahid and or, I'm sorry to Chris Olave. And so I looked at it and, to, and I'm going to explain to you why it was the right call, you know, first off, and we're going to get into a little bit more. We talked to Derek Carr yesterday. So he, he talked about that as well. We're going to hear from that. We're going to talk about Taysom Hill. Second segment, we're going to bring in Steve Sparky Pfeiffer from 1250 AM. The fan in Milwaukee he also hosts current along a podcast that I was on yesterday. So if you want to see a cameo from my cat, because she interrupted the recording, go check that out. Um, the video is also on Twitter. If you wanted to do that. And then in the final segment, we're going to hear from Deuce McAllister. He had some interesting takeaways on what he expects from Kendra Miller and the blocking in general, because run blocking is going to be a huge question. So we're going to get into all that, but first things first, I want to play you a clip from Derek Carr because people complain, well, well, why don't they run more shot plays? It worked twice. Why didn't they run it three times? Why didn't they run it four times? And it's like, it doesn't work like that. You set them up and you hit them. And sometimes they don't work. And then people complain that they don't work. Anyway, so let, let's hear this clip first. And then, and then we'll, we'll get into, we'll get into uh, some more. But here's that. You know, what's so funny is, you know, we hit Mike on a go ball. You know, we hit uh, Chris on a go ball. And the same question, how come we can't have Rashida? It's like, bro, we just threw two, you know, like they're not going to give you 30 of them. You know, you got to, there's a lot that goes into it and a lot that's set up. You know, we threw a couple quick games, you know, just trying to feed that a little bit, you know, feed it in the third quarter, feed it in a little bit early in the fourth, boom, 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 trying to, trying to just keep just telling them, hey, hey, and then all of a sudden, boom, it's like perfect timing. There's a flow when you're a play caller that you just can't just rush something, right? And I thought he, he caught it at the perfect time, another blitz, right? Pick up. Great job by the offensive line, and it allowed us to hit that shot. So, yeah, I mean, Hail Marys. I mean, we saw the Broncos throw a Hail Mary. We should just do that every time, you know? Like, it just doesn't work that way. It doesn't. But, you know, here, here's the thing. Like, Pete Carmichael, for whatever reason, when the offense doesn't go well, it's easy to blame Pete Carmichael because people are just trained to say, well, bad play call. It didn't work, so it's a bad play call. I, I have to tell you, you know, going through that film and kind of like you dissect the decision making and you look at a lot of the motion, a lot of what this t- offense has done. Pete Carmichael has called two 
very good football games. Were they perfect? No, they're never going to be perfect. But like when you look at what was happening last year and a lot of the complaints, the only complaint I still have is there's no screen passes or there's not enough. But I want those screens to go to Alvin anyway. Yeah. So like, <laughs> I, I mean, it's hard to complain too much that he's not throwing enough screen passes to Jamal Williams. They have tried. They haven't worked. And so like before we go into anything else, I need people to understand like Pete Carmichael is not the reason this offense has struggled. It's the protection and it's the execution. Um, and like, guys, I, it, it's easy. he's an easy punching bag because he's just this quiet ho-hum fellow who's been around forever and says, I think this a lot. But he's called two very good games. I, I need people to understand that. Well, I think this, I think Saints fans are spoiled, obviously, <laughs> from those heydays with, you know, Drew Brees, Sean Payton, when, when the offense was really humming and going along and they were putting up 28, 30, 35 points easily right. a game. And it's just not like that right now. Obviously, we've seen this is a strong defensive ball club. But to your point with the play calling, it is amazing how many at-home you know coordinators there are. Uh, I think that the yeah the, the offensive struggles uh, early on that we've seen definitely the offensive line has been the biggest issue to me. Not anything that uh, in what Pete Carmichael is trying to do. Yeah, and so this is the play. I'm gonna I'm gonna slow it down to to point seven five and uh, play it through here. And so this is a play specifically. I had multiple people bring this play up to me on YouTube, on Twitter, and they said third and two at the Panthers 40-yard line, give or take. I think it might have been the 42. The Saints are up 13 to six here, and they're like, why didn't you just go back and run Taysom? Well, you know, you, you could have run Taysom here. That's an option. Taysom had been effective in this game, sure. But the, the question is, you know, was it a good play call? And what I need people to understand is, like, this is – prime shot play territory when you are in short yardage and you know they're going to bring a blitz and you can max protect you can have enough blockers to pick up their blitzers and so i'm going to show you right here on the on the end zone view look so you have seven guys who are going to stay in six and a half if you count juan johnson he's going to chip number 50 on the left side to help out trevor penning and then he's going to leak out but so you have six guys blocking six guys. You have the numbers advantage and you have Trevor Penning getting help from Jawan Johnson. When you are a play caller and you max protect against a heavy blitz, against a six-man pressure, you won. That's what you want. That's the point of max protecting. If they blitz and you pick it up, big win for the offense. That means that you called the right play at the right time. What you don't want to do is put Taysom Hill in there. And so not only are they rushing six, they're rushing seven. They know exactly what you're going to do. Because it, it, here's the thing. If you put in Taysom Hill, the right play would be for Taysom Hill to throw. And so are you putting Taysom Hill in there just to throw this same route that, that Derek Carr was unable to throw to, uh, to, to Chris Olave? No. So, so first, first of all, like it's the right call. You know, you could say you could be a little more conservative. Maybe you try to pound it down their throat. But we saw in the first half, the Saints tried to run Taysom Hill on the goal line, and the Panthers picked it up. The Panthers' strength is their front. And now you look at what this does to the defense, right? So there is one safety back. You have six men coming. It's one. It's man-to-man -man across the board. The safety 
in the back, you can see he's opened up to Michael Thomas's side. You have Michael Thomas running a go. You have Chris Olave running a seven. So he's going to the corner. So he's putting this safety in conflict. And that's what you want to do against the middle closed look, which is what this is. You put the safety in conflict. You force him to either cover one or none. He can sit in the middle of the field and lose leverage on both, or he can cheat over to one side. And what he's doing is he's opened up to Mike Thomas' side so he can try to make it over there. And he's cheating toward Chris Olave's side. Well, He's not flipping his hips and getting to Chris Olave if the ball goes there. The issue is Derek Carr doesn't have an ounce of time to throw the ball. And if you want to make a criticism, it's that, well, they hadn't been protecting well all game. So why would you assume they could protect here? And fine. But I'm not, if I'm a play caller, I am, I am trusting my guys. And, you know, maybe that's his fault is that he trusted the protection to hold up. And it didn't. And you can see, like, when does Derek Carr throw this ball? He doesn't have time. It's a slow developing route. And there's pressure immediately. He tries to step up. If he has time to throw it, and we'll see it again from the sideline angle, if he has time to throw it, Chris Olave, watch, watch Chris Olave at the top. He breaks in. He has that inside stem. He goes outside. He's got a step. He's open. If Derek Carr has any time to throw this ball, he's probably walking into the end zone and you iced that game one drive earlier. People complained. It's like, well, the Panthers got the ball back and they scored on the next drive. Well, it's not... Pete Carmichael's fault that Lou Headley boomed that ball into the end zone in prime position to pin them inside the five, right? Like that's, that's the, that's what you're hoping for. It's like worst case scenario, we get to punt from the 50 and they should have, you know, the ball inside the 20 minimum, hopefully inside the 10, he booms into the end zone. They go down and they kick a field goal and the saints come back. And here's the thing. The part of it that annoys the heck out of me is the next drive. You know what the saints did in virtually the same part of the field? A second and 12, which is not a deep shot down, which is a down that you're they're expecting you to run on and try to make it a third and manageable. They ran a double move to Chris Olave. That time, the protection held up. And I don't hear anyone complaining about that play, right? So if your only criticism of the play call is that it didn't work, then you're doing it wrong because the right play call isn't bad because it fails, right? Like you can call a perfect play, and if the execution does not happen the way it didn't on this play, that doesn't mean it was the wrong play call. That means the execution it worked. So, like, again, it, it's like it, you could have, yes, you, I had someone say, well, they could have put Rashid in motion and then take the linebacker with him and whatever. Yeah, but <laughs> it's like that's not a guarantee of success either. So I like the aggressive play calling, and this is the exact type of play calling that has allowed the Saints to put the game away on offense. Third and six against the Titans in a situation where the conservative route would have been run it, force them to use that timeout. They send Rashid on and go, and they hit him, and they put that game away. In this game, second and 12, the conservative route would have been, okay, make this third and manageable. Instead, they run a double move and hit Rashid, put the game away effectively. They scored to go up 10. The Panthers did come down and score a touchdown, but it was too little too late. So, like, I, like this, you, if your criticism is based on the success of the play and not the context and whether it was the right idea at the time, then you're not evaluating the play calling. You're just finding a familiar punching bag in Pete Carmichael. And, but the funniest part is that I also have people telling me they ran Taysom Hill too much and it took Derek, David Carr out of rhythm, the guy who threw 36 passes on the game. It's just, it's just so funny to me. Anyway, that, that play I thought was funny because I think this is a, the exact right play call. And what, the issue isn't Pete Carmichael. The issue is seven blockers could not handle six rushers. Right, and the issue there wasn't the fact that David Carr Derek Carr was out of rhythm. It was the fact that the offensive line just didn't hold up kind of thing. And I, I like the aggressive nature, too, just because yeah. you, you had seen this Panthers offense not being able to do anything 
against the Saints defense had really dominated that game. So, yeah, be aggressive, throw your shot down the field, hopefully, you know, get a completion. If not, you punt it, hopefully, you know, you, you end up with the better field position and force them to drive uh, longer down the field. That that part didn't work out. And, and you're and, up yeah, seven, and you haven't allowed a touchdown on this season yet. Yeah, and then, <laughs> right. that, that's something we mentioned, though, too, with, you know, Headley has to be better. That was better. one of our guys that was down in the three-up, three-down segment we did the last podcast. Yeah, and, and, like, situationally, to me, it's it's different if you were at the 32 and you are in field goal range, and if you run that Taysom Hill play and it doesn't work and you lose a yard or two, you're kicking the field goal anyway. Here – you're punting if you don't get that. You know, even on even if you the people are like, well, you could run four down territory. We've seen that we know how this Saints team operates. They're not going for it. Up seven. You know, analytics would probably tell you yes. And I think this team is not analytically inclined enough on offense. I agree with that. But I don't think the Saints are punt are are going for it on fourth and two at the Panthers 42. Again, knowing that you are up seven and your defense has not allowed a touchdown yet on the season. Like you're gonna trust your defense there. So if, if you're in field goal range and you can get it, then and, and you're risking a sack that would not knock you out of field goal range, then sure. In this case, a sack just puts you further out of field goal range. So like you're not kicking it from the 42 or the 41. You know, that's just not happening. You're not giving Blake Groupie a 60-yard attempt in this situation and risking giving them the ball back in prime field position when the only thing you can do wrong is not allow your top defense to, to close out this game for you. So, yeah, I, I just think I was very critical of Pete Carmichael in the play calling last year. I think that he hit all the right notes in this game. They've made really good adjustments. The protection has improved throughout the course of the game. They've been more effective in the second half. Derek Carr has been better. So, like, there are things to complain about with this offense and how it's been operating. I think James Hurst, we there's a serious conversation that needs to be had about putting Andrews Pete back in that starting role because I think the him starting a guard has, has not been – you know, I'm more worried about his, James Hurst at guard right now than I am at Trevor with Trevor Penning at left tackle. And so like stuff like that, like, yeah, that's fair game to me. Uh, but the play calling, I have no issue with. No, and I think right now a big concern or an issue has just been the running back rotation, the depth there just because of suspensions and injuries. Now it's going to be interesting going into this week. Obviously, hopefully Miller makes his, you know, debut. We get to see him in Lambeau. All things look on track for that. And then the combination with Tony Jones Jr., but still a guy, uh, he's been around the block and he's been here a little and knows the whole routine, but not someone that's been with the team this entire offseason either. No, and I agree with that. And we're going to get more into Kendra and Tony in the, in the last segment. So let's focus more on Taysom Hill in the run game right now because he's obviously, yeah. you know, he might be a bigger part of the run game than I do those guys. <laughs> uh, and, he, and he was in this game, right? He had 75 yards on nine carries. Not all of them were from the quarterback position. He got a toss. He took at least one handoff from Derek Carr. And that's just situations that he's not necessarily used to. And I think that's why well, you're tossing him the ball. Like that, right. right. Deuce mentioned this on the broadcast. One of the reasons you toss him the ball is because that's how he's used to receiving the ball. He's not used to taking the handoff. He's not. He's used to having the ball at the mesh point, not receiving the ball at the mesh point. And I think that's something that you don't want to risk in the course of a game and, and have a terrible fumble because it's just something he's not used to do. So instead, what do you do? Toss him the ball. That's just how he's used to receiving it. But you know, one thing I asked Derek Carr about, because I'm curious and people have been telling me he's been out of rhythm, is you know he's probably never come off the field that many times in his life. Not in high school, not in college, definitely not with the Raiders, although... They did use Marcus Mariota in some ways right. as as the, the that guy, but not you know maybe 
he didn't have nine snaps all season that he came off for with Mariota. He had nine snaps in this game that he came off with for Taysom Hill. But I did I did want to get his uh, his answer on that. So uh, here here's what he had to say. That, is that an adjustment? That seems like something that probably haven't done a lot throughout your career is come out during a series, come back on. Yeah. Well, I knew coming here that that was a part of it, yeah. you know. And, you know, we talked about that from the get-go. I was like, that that has been a complete advantage here when Drew was here. That was such an advantage to have an extra hat in the run game with your quarterback running the ball the way that he can. You know, he's a powerful, speedy runner, you know. And, and I knew that coming in. And so that wasn't like... I guess my mindset was already made up, you know, back then, you know, that I knew that that was part of it. Um, and I'm great with it because it helps the team win. He's unbelievable. You know, I think we all know that, you know, and especially when Jamal goes down, you know, that that part of the game obviously elevates because during the game we have one running back left, you know, so he has to play. He's our second you know, runner at that point. And so uh, that that part of it, you know, it happened to you know take off more for certain reasons. And. Uh, he's a guy that can go in there. He's he started games at quarterback. He's played running back. He's played receiver. He's played the slot. He's played tight end. He's played a, played F tight end. He's played the wing. You know he plays fullback. He plays specialty. You know it's it's really unbelievable what he's able to do. So coming in, I knew you know what what he was capable of. And I like I said, I've always said, man, I came here to win. And if that's helping us win, that keep keep doing it. I think in the past, Jason has told us that he was not allowed to throw the ball to Drew under any circumstances. Is that, does that rule apply to you, too? No, I keep talking to him. I keep talking to him. You saw me down there on the goal line, huh? You know, uh, you know it, that was totally not planned. Uh, I don't think the run was supposed to come to me. Uh, but I was like, I'm, I'm telling him, like, I'm, I'm ready at all times. We used to have one with the Raiders, uh, like, in practice, where Marcus would throw it to me in practice in group. They'd be like, don't you throw it to him, you know? Uh, but I, I'm always in Taysom's ear. I'm like, bro, I promise you – you give me the opportunity, I'm going to catch the ball. And so I don't think he's being told behind the scenes to throw it to me, but we'll see. Does that sound like a guy who's worried about coming off the field for, for nine snaps? Because it doesn't no, it sounds sound like a guy like just like Drew Brees. I don't care whatever it takes. I just want to win. And this is this gives us that opportunity, that advantage. I'm all about it. Right. And and like uh, I was talking to Sparky about this uh, on his podcast and he's like, that's weird. I don't know how many teams would take their quarterback off the field. And isn't that an issue? And it's like, yeah, but what, are you really losing anything from the quarterback coming out on plays that he's going to be handing the ball off anyway? Like, right. What's that rhythm you're looking for? It, you know, and, and sure, maybe he goes in and he checks it to a pass at the line. And he throws it again. Derek Carr threw the ball 36 times in this game in a low scoring game, a game where they didn't run great offense in the first half and they they weren't effective and he said they were he and Rashid and the, the receivers were moving a little too fast so like he's not worried about that rhythm but I did think it was funny so like I I asked Taysom I want to say it was 2020 it was a zoom interview uh it was after the Bucks game where they just beat the bricks off him and I was like you know I saw you pump fake to Drew and I was like is that even like a possibility that you could ever throw him a ball and he was like no they told me explicitly that I am not allowed to throw Drew the ball. <laughs> and I don't know, maybe maybe that's not true anymore. We saw, you know, in, in the week one, they didn't run any plays where Derek stayed on the field, right? They they were all Taysom with, with 10 yeah. players who could block. And in this game, they did have a couple where Derek stayed on the field. And, and you ask, well, what's the point if the whole idea is you get an extra blocker? Well, those are the misdirection plays. Those are the plays where you want to catch them in the wrong personnel because Derek's on the field. So you can't run this heavy personnel out there and say, well, we're 90% sure he's going to run it anyway. So if he beats us with his arm, whatever. 
when he's in the personnel, but there's also a quarterback, that means that they have to at least account for the fact that maybe he lines up at wide receiver. Maybe he's a tight end. Maybe, you know, like, so it, it forces them to be a little bit lighter in the box. And I doubt that it's going to be something they run unless it's like, you know, a very specific opportunity where it makes sense. But if you see teams just completely ignoring Derek Carr over there and all it is is a pitch and catch to the end zone with him standing by himself, why the heck not, right? You got to be careful because I don't want him taking hits. But if you get to a point where a team is just ignoring him completely and you're in the red zone, I could see it happen. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, it could be something like a Philly special kind of type of play kind of thing. I could see, you know, Carr in the end zone, but definitely nothing where he's going to have to get yak after the the catch to, you know, to sprint in. <laughs> right. The, the the Bucks ran a play like that in Germany last year and Tom Brady slipped and fell. And it was like, but it was like, he is with the right left 40 yard line. <laughs> like it was like, what, what's the best case scenario here, guys? That is a dumb thing to do. Byron. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that's, that's, I don't expect that there's not going to be a situation where he needs to run at five, even 10 yards. He needs to be in the end zone when he catches the ball. And if not, there's no way, but, um, anyway, I, I do think it's funny that Derek is, uh, he, he, he wants it. He wants it bad. Yeah. I don't know if he has ever caught a ball in his career. I know beforehand drew drew had in San Diego though, slash Los Angeles, but it was San Diego, obviously at the time when drew was there. Breeze never caught a ball though when he was with the Saints. If if Derek has caught a pass, it is a it was a play where the ball but got batted and he threw and com- and caught the pass. Right, that's the only way I can imagine him catching a pass. Uh, but like C.J. Stroud, his first career NFL pass or completion was to himself, uh, which is a which is kind of funny. That'll be a fun trivia note someday. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, that's that's all I had uh, on on Taysom and and the offense in general. I just think. Again, I, I like the way it's operated. And you're, you're get, you have to understand, there's a lot of things working against this offense right now. You don't have Alvin Kamara. The pass Huge. protection has not been good. And you, like I have people who's like, well, the, the execution is on the, is on the offensive coordinator too. And it's like, sure, maybe you could say that, but not the play calling. The play calling has nothing to do with the execution. The play calling is, you know, uh, it, you can't play scared. You can't call plays scared. And I think that's what they were doing last year. And if, if the alternative to that is you maybe get a little too aggressive at points, I'm fine with that. I am fine with that because you have the weapons to do it. You know, like, and, and the protection, Pete Carmichael never played offensive line. He's not out there coaching up James Hurst on his footwork. You know, that's Doug Marone. And, I, you know, I have some criticism for Doug Marone. Like, this offensive line's got to be better. And he's supposed you know, he's a guy who's been here for two years now. It, it can't be like this. So hopefully that does improve. And uh, you can get there. But again, it's like if you if all you're doing is using Pete Carmichael as a punching bag, I think you're wrong. Well, at least it wasn't Saints fans or any of the who that nation that, that had the horrible take that I feel like our, our fellow Odyssey podcaster, Elliot Shore Parks, had on Taysom Hill. That was just I saw get that. Tweet, I'm like, here. is that for real? It's so lame. It's like, come on, act like you you understand anything that's going on. Like Sparky makes a good point uh, in that, like. If you know, if you cut Taysom Hill, who who would actually go sign him? And the answer is the Broncos. But absolutely, you know, that's only because of Sean Payton. And and yes, it, it is. It's a part of the offense that does not get replicated elsewhere. But that's what makes it effective, because teams aren't used to seeing it, right? Like contrarian offense works. Um, and you know, it's not going to work every game. And that's where I think if you if you are hammering him into 
a wall when you know they're stacking the line, when you know they are coming at you with everybody like they were on that third and two play, and you're still running Taysom Hill into that, then you are giving into the gimmick of it all. And you're saying, no, this just works against everything. But when you're using it in a way that's like, yeah, they aren't playing in a way that's going to stop this. Let me show you a couple of screen grabs before before we go. So one of the reasons it worked, one of the reasons the Taysom Hill plays work so effectively, it's not necessarily because it's in, it's unstoppable. It's because the Panthers were playing in a way that they could not stop it. Look at this. Look at this screen grab. Hmm. You see why this play worked? Because the Panthers are saying, here, Taysom, they put a, they put a sign oh, in their front yard that said, free eight yards. And the <laughs> first person who wants it, take it, right? And it's like, yeah, if you're going to play like this and you're not going to stack the line, yeah, that's for free eight yards. I'm taking it. And then if he breaks a tackle, who knows? Again, this is that was his first carry in the game. Here's another one. You, you, is it really that complicated why this play worked? As long as the blocking holds up, which it does, uh, you know, that's, again, a free eight yards. If they have three linebackers standing there like, okay, let's see what you can do. It's a different scenario. It's not like he's in there breaking tackles against a nine-man front. And if that's what you're facing and you're still running it, that's a bad play call. Because what you should do in that situation is max protect, have enough blockers to block all of the rushers, and then give Chris Olave, Rashid Shaheed, Michael Thomas a chance downfield. That's what P. Carmichael has been doing. It's been working. So anyway, this was a long segment. I don't I didn't need to get too deep into this, but uh, like it's it's just funny to me. It's like there's always these kind of low hanging fruit complaints about how the offense is operating. And, you know, when a guy is ex- like, I think he P. Carmichael did have to get better this year. And the things he's been doing thus far, I think, are directly, you know, correlated to better offense. And when the Saints have their pieces, when they have Alvin, uh, when the offensive line hopefully gets its act together, I think this, this often I'm excited about it. I I definitely rather have Taysom Hill as my change of pace quarterback than Andy Dalton. (laughs) I said last podcast, I don't know what the Panthers were doing. They put Andy Dalton in there and like everyone in the world's like, he's going to sneak it. And he tosses it to Miles Sanders. What the hell are you doing? Um, Anyway. Yeah. So let's let's wrap that segment up. We went long on it. We're going to come back. We're going to talk more about the Packers. I promise Uh, we're going to bring in Steve Sparky Pfeiffer. He's, you know, covers the Packers up in Milwaukee. He's going to break down what to expect. You know what? What's going on with the Packers? It's a good, you know, they're in the situation that the Saints were in a couple years ago trying to replace a, you know, I want to say an MVP, but Drew never won the MVP, but they're trying to replace an MVP in Aaron Rodgers uh, and Jordan Love looks pretty good thus far. So he's going to break that down for us. This is Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak. He's Steve Geller. If you haven't subscribed, why not? Go ahead and do that. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Hit us up on YouTube as well at WWL Sports. Check out WWL.com for the latest content. Otherwise, stick the heck around. What else are you doing? And we're back here on Inside Black and Gold. This is the Friday edition, which means it is the preview edition for the Saints Week 3 matchup. Saints-Packers, noon central at Lambeau Field. I'm Jeff Nowak, as always, alongside Steve Geller. And we are bringing in special guest Steve Sparky Pfeiffer from 1250 AM, the fan in Milwaukee. He's a busy guy. He's also the host of the Curtin Long podcast covering the Packers. He hosts the Green and Growing podcast covering the Milwaukee Bucks. And even in his spare time, he has the Spare Time <laughs> Bowling Show covering the Professional Bowling Association, the PBA. Steve, when do you sleep? 
Uh, yeah. Well, I, I sleep uh, five hours a night. I got plenty of time. It's all good. And it's a lot of fun, man. It's a lot of fun uh, coming on and doing podcasts and doing podcasts. And everybody was, you know, nowadays everybody can do a podcast, I guess, because uh, <laughs> that's kind of where we are at or whatever the case may be. Uh, but always fun. Uh, thanks for having me on. Well, we'll just get right into this. I, you know, it's funny. I was actually at the Saints facility yesterday and someone walked out and said, hey, Jordan Love is making his debut at Lambeau Field. And all I could hear was love making. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the, it's always an interesting Yo. experience when you go from a legend to a, a quarterback that you just don't know what to expect from. The Saints are, did that with Jameis Winston. Now, you know, it's obviously Derek Carr. But, you know, Aaron Rodgers to Jordan Love, that is Huge. You know, it's it's the biggest quarterback change since Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers. Obviously, that went pretty well. How has the reception been thus far for Jordan Love? It seems like it's going pretty well for a guy making his first real his really his first few starts uh, for the new team. Yeah, no doubt. I, I think Packer fans uh, are very, very happy with what they've seen so far from Jordan Love. And I think Packer fans get even more happy when you see all of these guys that do film analysis all over social media and on ESPN and so forth then they start talking about Jordan Love and what they love about Jordan Love and how great Jordan Love is, then you feel even better about it because it's like, okay, I'm a Packer fan, so of course I'm going to like my quarterback. I think he's really good. But when you get the affirmation from these film analysts that what you're seeing is real, that he really is this good, I think you get excited. And then you see stuff like this. Wes Hotkowitz from the the Packers tweeted this out. Jordan Love uh, is obviously the new starting quarterback with room to grow, but this staff from the NFL is still kind of bonkers. He's the fourth quarterback in the last 10 years to have three passing touchdowns and no interceptions each of the first two games of a season. The others, Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady, and Peyton Manning. That's wow. it. That's the list. That's a pretty solid list um, to be on. Right. And I'm not saying he's a Hall of Famer, but when you're a Packer fan, you get excited when you see stuff like that, right? You're like, hell yeah. All right. This is good. We got a good guy. And it's funny because we were talking about it, uh, Jeff, when you were on Curtin Long, my podcast uh, the other day uh, about when you start looking at that quarterback film school or whatever the case may be with JTO Sullivan doing that. I watched that thing last night and you just shake your head like, man. You know, they might actually have another really good quarterback in Green Bay. And they're not may not be that struggle to find a starting quarterback like the Saints have kind of been going through to find that next guy after Drew Brees. The Packers may have gotten lucky again. Uh, one of the big things right off the bat, obviously, the initial injury report stands out. Uh, a lot of a lot of guys on that offensive side of the football appeared on there. Uh, what is, I guess, your take or inclination of what we're going to see from guys like Bakhtiari, uh, Jenkins, Aaron Jones going into uh, week three, because those are some significant pieces, even Christian Watson going along for that offense. David Bakhtiari is the story right now because David Bakhtiari didn't play last week. They were on turf. David Bakhtiari, uh, his brother went to social media and kind of insinuated that it was because they were on turf, why David Bakhtiari wasn't playing. So David Bakhtiari had a sore media around his locker yesterday going, hey, dude, what's the deal? And he pretty much said that then he told his brother, tweet what you want. It's your social media account. I'm not going to control you. Do what you want. Uh, so now he's got to sit there and do that. And then, of course, he rips all the media members that went <laughs> with the social media tweet and said, you know, you should probably should double check, you know, with me before you go tweet something like that out or whatever the case may be. Uh, and said that he's hurt. He's been battling the same knee thing since he uh, he messed up the ACL, you know, three years ago. Uh, and it's no different than it, it was before. He's just having issues. So if he plays, I feel better. Right. At left tackle, I feel better. Elton Jenkins, a right. left guard. They did not put him on the IR. He has a sprained MCL from the last game. And uh, they said that they're not putting him on the IR because they think he can be back essentially within four weeks. So 
Uh, I don't think he's going to play against the Saints, however. So that's probably their two best offensive linemen. Uh, I would guess Bakhtiari will play, is my guess, because it's at Lambeau, even though he says the turf doesn't matter. Uh, I'm guessing Bakhtiari. <laughs> Jenkins is not going to play. They have not said what they're going to do. Uh, they do have options, though. They have some depth at offensive line. Running back Aaron Jones worked out with him inside, didn't come outside, so I, I don't think that's looking so good. Uh, Christian Watson was outside running routes uh, and doing stuff with the team. So that looks like a better scenario of him actually getting uh, on the field at this point and going from there. Christian Watson playing is a huge difference. It just is. He's their best receiver. They have more than just him as a deep threat now after this rookie class that they just brought in last year. He was their only deep threat, uh, but he still is. He's got potential to be a megastar. You know, his his hands are a little bit inconsistent. But if he, if he figures that out, he, he could be a really big-time wide receiver in the NFL. The back to stuff is fascinating. And obviously, this big turf versus grass debate. The Packers have grass, so it's not a huge issue in terms of the home games. But, you know, I blame the Packers slightly for this. Because even on the injury report, like David Bakhtiari says, I have an E, and I, I didn't watch the whole interview, but I watched the bit where he kind of went, it's like, hey, did you did you write that story? And the guy was like, no. And anyway, I do get a kick out of it when the, when the players are like, that's not journalism. Right. But, you know, they have him listed on the injury report as not injury related, then hyphen rest slash knee. And it's like, why? If it's not injury related, then it's not injury related. But then they say he has an injury. So clearly there's something that's disconnected there in terms of he's resting and the team, like if it was a knee injury, all you have to say is knee. They don't, they're not required to report anything else if he's dealing with a knee injury. So what is your read on that? Do you, do you think that he's kind of being facetious there? Cause to me, it's like, well, he has signed a contract and the contract probably stipulates that he plays on all field conditions. The Raiders used to play on a goddamn baseball field. <laughs> right. uh, you know, like what, what is going on there? Cause it just, it doesn't, it, something seems fishy. Well, the knee is, has been an issue ever since he heard it. Um, and there was a great story on Cheesehead TV, uh, a website. I think it was beginning of last year, somewhere along that line. And Bakhtiari goes in a great depth of all the fluids. He's continuously having to drain out of his knee. Wow. Even since that, he's had multiple surgeries uh, since the ACL uh, injury as well. So something that a lot of guys come back from within a year, he can't get over the hump. Uh, last year, it was just like this year. It was week to week. Didn't practice at all. Uh, would play one week, not play the next week. Play one week, then sit out two games or whatever the case may be. You just didn't know what you were getting. And that's the unfortunate thing for the Packers with Jordan Love. You you want the all-pro left tackle because when he plays, he's good. He's really good. It's it's not really affecting his play necessarily. It's just, I, I guess, a pain tolerance thing one way or the other. Now, the turf thing, I don't know, man. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and call David Bakhtiari a liar, but uh, at the same point, David Bakhtiari can't exactly come out and and tell everybody that he's not going to play on turf fields the rest right. of the year. I mean, that, that'd be a horrible look. Packer fans would lose their minds. Like, I, I understand you got hurt on a turf field and, and you don't want to go back through that experience and you are like one of the most vocal guys on social media about getting rid of turf fields in the NFL. We get all of that. But now you're you're possibly costing this team wins because of you trying to take your stance. So he's not going to publicly say that one way or the other. And David Bakhtiari used to be on the afternoon show. I used to do with Gary Ellerson and Roy Butler. He was a weekly guest. I love Bakhtiari. I think he's great. So I, I don't know what's going on. I, I'll take his word, I guess, that that, that knee is still not fixed uh, and still acting up, which means it's going to be a long year for this Packers team. And hopefully the depth they have, which are young guys for the most part, can hold up and, and Jordan Luck can still stay in that clean pocket because for the most part, he really hasn't had to deal with a whole bunch of pressure necessarily. They probably had some pressure last year in the Fal- or last week in the Falcons game in the second half, but through preseason, week one against the Bears, clean pocket, had all day to throw, and now we'll see what the, what the Saints bring to town in week three. 
Uh, over here, we're hoping to see that Saints offense, especially the run game, get rolling. And I know the pack for the, for the first you know couple games haven't had uh, an easy time stopping the run, obviously. Uh, what, what's been the issues there? Because I know there's a, a lot of first-round picks invested over on that side of the football. The defensive coordinator's an idiot. Um, <laughs> that's, that's the extent of it. Uh, most of the gotcha. fan base wanted Joe Barry gone uh, last year. Uh, and then Joe Barry keeps his job, and you had <laughs> – uh, every name defensive coordinator has been in the league available uh, to be hired this last offseason. Leslie Frazier is still out there. And you you maintain with Joe Barry. Now, again, this is Matt LaFleur's guy, right? Uh, he he went and brought him in. He worked with Joe Barry in the past, so this is his guy. But guys, check this out. Matt LaFleur last year, and this has been going on, where things aren't going right at halftime. LaFleur goes in and tells Joe Barry, hey, I want this, this, and this fixed and changed, and this is what I want you to do. And then Joe Barry makes the change, and they go. And then Matt LaFleur tells the media after the game that, oh, yeah, I, I want to talk to Joe, blah, blah, blah. Right. What? So you're essentially helping to run the defense as much as you're helping to run the offense because your defense coordinator can't figure it out. Now, coming into this year, it was, we're going to listen to our players more. So last year on the exit interviews, instead of, hey, I want you to work on this, I want you to work on this, they didn't do that. They had Joe Barry. And I don't know if Matt LaFleur was involved or not, but they asked the players, what do you want to do next year on defense? How do you want us to play? What do you want to do? Because Jair Alexander was feeling mad last year that he wasn't getting the number one wide receiver consistently and complaining in the media about it, went into Joe Barry's office complaining about he wanted Justin Jefferson and he wasn't going to take no for an answer anymore after the first time they played the Vikings and he didn't get him. So that kind of changed things. So now this year they're playing more aggressive. They're they're playing more bump a little bit and playing more up on the line of scrimmage because typically with Joe Barry, you're playing five to seven, eight yards off the ball and giving all this cushion. And these DBs do not want to play that way. And they've kind of made that change. The other change that's happened is Kenny Clark, who is one of the better nose tackles in football, uh, they moved him off uh, to the right side and they let TJ Slayton, who they drafted a couple of years ago, in the middle. He's wearing 93, the grave digger Gilbert Brown. Remember him from the Packers? His old number even did the little Gilbert Brown celebration in the preseason after he had a sack. And he's a big, wide body that's that's commanding some some double teams now in the middle, which is good. He's, he gets that push. Stopping the run has been an issue for this team. I don't know. Go back three or four defensive coordinators. It's always been an issue for the Packers for whatever the reason. Um, so it, could you have success? Yes, because I think different from Atlanta where it was a no-brainer, stop the run, Ritter can't beat you. I don't think that's the case. I, I think with Olave, and even though Mike Thomas isn't Mike Thomas, they have enough with a veteran quarterback. They can meet you throwing. You can't you know, go into this game going, stop the run at all costs. I think the run is secondary. I, I think you have to focus on Olave first uh, and then play off of that and hope you're you're good enough to stop what is this, your third string running back, whatever the case may be going forward? You hope you're good enough to stop yeah. a third string running back? I don't know. Yeah, well, we're going to talk about uh, the whole running back situation in the final segment of this podcast. But yeah, so Kendra Miller is the rookie. No one really knows you're going to see out of him, but he's going to make his debut. So it's going to be fascinating. You know, uh, you're, you're talking about the defense. So I want you to hear Derek Carr's breakdown of the Packers defense. And I want to hear from you whether you think he's on point. So let's hear that. Uh, Green Bay, they get so much talent. You know, they, they fly around. Uh, Jair is one of the best players in the NFL. He's unbelievable. You know, he was with me in uh, Vegas for a little bit. I know the type of player and the competitor that he is. He's awesome. Uh, they, they got safeties that can fly. They fly around, make plays. You know, they, they want to come downhill and hit you. Uh, the linebackers inside, very smart players, physical players, can run also sideline to sideline. 
Uh, they do a good job inside. You got some young players mixed with a, an amazing veteran. Another one of our best players is 97. You know, Kenny Clark is an unbelievable player. You know, he, he can cause havoc in the run game. He can shed and get off blocks and win in the pass game, create big plays. And on the edge, they got two rushers that can get after it. And, you know, they, they present a lot of problems that way. And so uh, they got a young kid that they drafted there, too. Uh, whether he's in or not, don't know. But, you know, there's just they have some, they've, they've assembled a lot of talent. And Green Bay's been really good at doing that over the years. He's just assembling talent and putting it all together with a great scheme. You know, they, 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 they can go in and create a lot of havoc for you as a quarterback and as a, and a, and a run game offensive line. Uh, with the movement and all this kind of the blitz, the single high, the shell, they, they do a lot of good stuff. And so they, in a nutshell, uh, in about 30 seconds, I'll tell you, I couldn't tell you more about what we talked about for the last eight, six hours. But, you know, there's there's a lot that they can do to create problems and mismatches. And it's going to take our best effort to, you know, score points against them. Yeah, I think you mentioned, you know, all the talent. I think it's eight first round picks on this defense. Like it is, it is, it is studded with players. <clears throat> Yeah, uh, and the, the safeties, that's just that's just not true. I, that, that, no, they're not good. They're not good at all. In fact, Darnell Savage was benched last year. Uh, the other starting safety uh, is Rudy Ford. He was benched last year, and they brought a couple of free agents in that couldn't even beat out these two. I, literally, in training camp, it was, well, let's see who wins the safety position. That's all they kept saying, the coaching staff. And guess what? Nobody played well enough to technically win it, so they just went back to the two guys they benched last year and Darnell Savage and Rudy Ford to try and figure it out. They're not good at safety. They're horrible at safety. And Savage, you know, he played, he's played better the first couple of weeks, but it's just a matter of time before he rears his ugly head and blows an assignment or uh, does something stupid. So, no, their safety play is horrible. No, they're, they're, no. Uh, corners, Rajul Douglas and Jerry Alexander. Yeah, that's true. I, I agree on both of those assessments. Uh, linebackers are very athletic. Quay Walker, their number one pick from last year uh, in the middle. Uh, but again, he's still young, raw. He's still kind of figuring things out. When he stops thinking and starts playing, he's going to be an absolute beast because the dude is just a stud athletically. When he played at Georgia, you can see that. Devontae Wyatt, the defensive lineman from Georgia, he's played well, uh, better this year than he did last year, too, that they drafted him last year. Then Lucas Van Ness is who he's talking about, the kid out of Iowa uh, who got hurt the last game, but he practiced uh, on Wednesday. So he, he should be good to go, I would assume. He had an elbow issue, I think it was. Uh, and then, of course, Preston Smith's getting a little bit older, but he's still semi-consistent. And Rashawn Gary's a beast. I don't think he gets talked enough about. He will by the end of the year if he can stay healthy. He's coming off that knee injury from last year. Uh, and he's looked really good in two weeks, too. So they'll be able to get some pressure on the quarterback, I'm assuming. I'm, I am I believe they'll be able to get pressure on Derek Carr. Uh, the question will be, uh, really, at the end of the day is, can they have enough of a running game so they can't pin their ears back and come after Derek Carr? If they can be good enough on the ground running the football, the Saints, uh, then I think they can move the football on the Packers. If they can't, then it might be a long day for Derek Carr. Uh, looking at the a noon start Lambeau Field, uh, what is the home crowd going to be like? I, I know typically for Saints games, the tailgating and pregame uh, takes a little while, obviously, folks to get revved up. Uh, I guess you could say liquored up for the games too. Just how <laughs> how like wild and frothing is that uh, the Packers faithful for that early start? Do they, they show up pretty good? for the noon games or does it take a while to get things going? Because I know, like I said, in the Superdome, sometimes those noon starts, it takes a little, little bit for the Houdat nation to get revved up. No, they'll be drunk. A day drinking in Wisconsin. People <laughs> had a bloody Mary at 7am, get ready pregame. And people here, they start drinking at pregame at home. 
And then they go to have the actual party when they get there to tailgate. Oh no, alcohol in Wisconsinites. No, that no, they're two in the same. That that's yeah, our, legit. our problem is I, I know everyone's drinking early too. It's just the fact that them showing up to the stadium for kickoff on time, even with the Hudat chant that we have for every pregame. Sure. Uh, it, it just seems a while for folks to filter in for those nooners. Look at look at Badger games at Camp Randall. Oh, it's a, it's true, been right. an ongoing problem forever. Those students are doing beer bongs off the second floor of the houses they're renting and everything else leading up to the game. They don't come into the game until end of first quarter. And Luke Fickle's like, well, how do we fix it? Oh, <laughs> so they gave away free bucket hats, I think, trying to get them in to the students. So they were there by kickoff and they're trying to figure out. But again, even the college students, they're drinking and partying before they even get to the Badger game. So, I mean, the Packer fans will be loud. I mean, they'll be into it. The ongoing struggle that Matt LaFleur has had for the last couple of years, and he's voiced his displeasure about this, is Packer fans, for as smart as everybody thinks we are, mm, eh, not so much. <laughs> hey, just cheering at the right time. Like when you're on offense, shut up. Like nobody, you do not need to be loud when we're on offense. Or how about doing the wave when we're on offense and doing stuff like that? It just, it's mind boggling. And it was happening in preseason again. It was the exact same thing that we saw last year happening in the regular season. That has to be fixed. And I, I don't know how they fix it. I mean, they've tried stuff on the Jumbotron. They have a brand <laughs> gigantic new Jumbotron uh, now at Lambeau. That's, I don't know if it's the biggest or one of the biggest uh, in professional football that they added this year. Uh, but yeah, they're, they're going to be loud one way or the other. And it's nice outside. So everybody yeah. won't be freezing, uh, which means they can drink even longer. So yeah, <laughs> it, it'll be fun. Yeah. I was excited when the schedule came out and I saw this in week three and not week yeah. even 13. Cause you know, it's like, it doesn't, it's I'm probably going to be cold up there. Like what's the temperature in in green Bay right now? Oh, I don't know. It's supposed to be like 75, 76 today. So it'll probably be in the seventies. I would assume for the game. I haven't looked that far ahead, but yeah. But what is it when you wake up in the morning? That's the question. Fifties. I think it's like 56 this morning. I'm going to have to unpack clothing to bring with me that I have not worn in eight months just for that. Sure. (laughs) I'm not prepared for that. Yeah, light jacket in the morning. That's all you need. I mean, if you experience cold job, you could come crash by me come February when it's like minus six when we wake up. I'll show you cold. This ain't right. cold, man. You're right. That's that 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 NFC championship game in Green Bay is like I'm I'm forever terrified of of having to stand on the sidelines uh for that. I grew up in, in New England, so I, I know what it's like. And uh, I remember watching that Tom Coughlin face get redder and redder and redder. (laughs) I thought he was going to die on the sidelines of that game. But yes, you know, I I always compare Green Bay to New Orleans in a sense because, you know, there's a lot of teams in these major markets, in these major cities, New York, Chicago, Dallas. And it's like the, the, the football stadium is kind of an afterthought. They like move it off to the side. They don't even have it in the city. It's, it's got its name on it. Well, New Orleans, the Superdome is right downtown the the Packers Lambeau Field it's just right in the middle of Green Bay it's just that's what it's built around and there's just this community around the team that exists in a way that I don't think is true in a lot of other markets and I'm curious what you think about that because when when the Saints are bad the city is a different place (laughs) it's a different environment like people just aren't having as much fun um, but when the team is good, you really finally get to like it's been two years since the Saints have made the playoffs and you can feel it. The emotion around this team is different when they're not good. And I'm curious what and when you obviously Aaron Rodgers goes out of town, you don't know what to expect. How how has the fan base kind of handled that? Because 
it's, you know, when Drew Brees retired, it felt like a funeral. Um, and, <laughs> you know, and it's yep. taken a while, you know, it, it takes a while to come back from that. I'm curious what you think about that. Just, just take a second now and think about covering the Lions for, say, 20 years. Imagine right. what that feels like. Yeah. Um, because, again, both of our franchises have been blessed with Hall of Fame quarterbacks that you expect to go to the playoffs every year. That's just a thing, right? And now imagine being in a city that never gets to the playoffs, have had crap at quarterback forever. It's even worse. I think from a, from a, from a Packer fan standpoint, I think we all knew the window was closing on Rodgers uh, and we didn't know what we were getting with Jordan Love. So it's like, you better get that second one with Aaron before this is over because there are a lot of Packer fans myself included, that are disappointed with how this whole thing played out with Favre and Rodgers. I mean, you had a Hall of Fame quarterback for 30 damn years or more than that. You got two rings. I know it's hard to get a Super Bowl. I know everybody tells me it's so hard. But if you think of some of the stupid crap they've been through, that 2014 one still, you say 2014 to a Packer fan, you might as well just stab him in the chest. That loss <laughs> to the Seahawks where they were way up. I was hosting a Packer party uh, at a sports bar here, Quaker Steak and Lube. It's a national chain. And we we're doing it. And literally with five minutes to go in the game, the entire bar was going Super Bowl, Super Bowl. And then they lost it. Uh, and everybody walked out. And it was like a funeral procession as everybody walked out and people still haven't, haven't moved on from it. So there's, there is a, a lot of that emotion wrapped up of they never finished, they never finished, they never finished. By the time Rodgers got done, Last couple of years by him doing the Pat McAfee show and all this other stuff, Packer fans were just like, dude, we're done. Just go. <laughs> well, whatever it is with Jordan Love, we'll deal with. When Brett was going through that thing, it was Packer Nation split. There were people that hated Brett, and then there were people that loved Brett and screw Mike McCarthy, screw Ted Thompson. People jumped off being a Packer fan and said, we're not coming back until they're gone. Uh, and now some of those people have finally come back. Uh, so it really divided Packer Nation. The Rodgers thing, nah. For the most part, a majority of people were ready for him to move on. We're fine with it. And even if Jordan Love would have stunk, they were fine. They just were done with the drama and didn't want to deal with Aaron anymore. So in Chicago, there's Steve Bartman. In, in New Orleans, there's Bill Vinovich. Is is the Green Bay version of that, is it Brandon Bostic? Ooh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, you're specifically told, don't touch the ball, and then you go and touch the ball. Um, and Never it's funny because... That. He will tweet and talk about the Packers and so forth. And I think for the most part, everybody's kind of stopped going at him on social media and have moved on. Um, and he's got some Packer fan support. And when he talks about mental health, Packer fans will kind of, you know, oh, yeah, good, good job, blah, 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 blah. And he talks about rough times he's been through or whatever. So, yeah, I don't know. But, yeah, the Brandon Bostic thing, yeah. Yeah, say that name. Everybody knows who he is. No question about it. And even if you go back to the thing about Brett Favre, I mean, some of the – Dumb stuff we went through with him. I mean, there, there was a, a game against the Rams. He threw, hey, I think it was the Rams. Yeah, Aeneas Williams. He threw six interceptions in a playoff game. He made Aeneas Williams a Hall of Famer all by himself. There was the fourth and 26 game where Freddie Mitchell, FedEx right. Freddie, caught that ball on fourth yeah. and 26 in a playoff yeah. game. What? <laughs> I mean, some of the stuff and how they've lost games, it's just you shake your head and go, how does that happen? Just how? How does it, Colin Kaepernick, the Niners have owned the Packers forever. Just can't stop the run. They ran for, who was it? Was it that game too, yep. like 200 <laughs> yards against them? I mean, my God. Horrible. I feel like that game is the reason people keep saying every time a quarterback goes down, go get Kaepernick. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly right. Yes. Thank the Green uh, Bay Packers. All right, Steve. Uh, I know you're a busy guy. I'm talking to Steve Sparky Pfeiffer from 1250 AM, the fan in Milwaukee. Check it out. Also the host of Curtin Long podcast on the Odyssey 
Network and, and Steve, before I let you go, I always ask our guests, what is your score prediction for this game? Well, that's fair because I got your prediction on Curtin yes, Long. Yes. Uh, so we're, we're going to go back. Uh, and I, I'm going to say th- there's a little part of me that if this was an Aaron Rodgers team, I'd be concerned about more because they have the Detroit Lions who they're going to battle for the division more than likely on Thursday night football, just a few days later. But this is a young team that's just trying to win each game as best they can. And I don't think they're looking ahead and, and, and thinking about the Detroit Lions game necessarily. Matt LaFleur said he has changed the practice schedule this week uh, to get ready for that Lions game on Thursday. So he shortened practice yesterday, took some stuff off the back end to give him a little bit more extra rest and so forth. Uh, I, I think the Packers win this football game mainly because it's at Lambeau. I think if this was in New Orleans, I'd probably take the Saints. But because it's at Lambeau, I think that's good. I think that allows Bakhtiari to probably get on the football field and play, which I think will be huge for this team if he can play left tackle. Uh, and this offense is just getting better and better as far as you know figuring out how to play together with these young wide receivers and, and Jordan Love. So I'll say the Packers uh, win this game 27-20 to over the Saints. You know, a fun fact that, that you'll appreciate, the only time a guest has ever come on here and predicted their own team lost was the Vikings last year. And the Vikings ended up winning. <laughs> Who was it? Who was the guest? Uh, I can't remember. I can't recall his name. I'd I have to. Uh, either, right? it, 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 something. Uh, Ms. Mazik Bonnie or, or uh, huh. oh man, he also covers. He also covers the uh, hockey team. Um, but I'd have to. I'd have to go check. Either wow. way, thanks so much for your time, Steve. And you're busy. Uh, good luck. And uh, are you, you going to be at the game on Sunday? Uh, no, no, I'm not okay. going to be there. Well, I won't I'm see gonna, you there then, no. but I'll let no, you know. No, you will, you will definitely not see me there. I'll be on my couch uh, enjoying watching <laughs> okay. uh, the football game. And you enjoy Titletown. It's not the same as it used to be necessarily because, yes, the neighborhood's there, but Green Bay bought half of Green Bay, or the Packers yeah. bought half of Green Bay <laughs> to build Titletown, cool. bought people's houses, bought stores, restaurants, knocked it all down, built it the way they wanted. But I still think it's an awesome experience. And I think if you're coming in as a fan that's never been to Green Bay, I think Lambo should be a bucket list thing. I do. Like Fenway. Fenway, right. uh, Wrigley, which has been renovated yep. and redone like Fenway. That's also should be probably be a bucket list thing, too. That's in the middle of a neighborhood, uh, kind of similar to what Lambo is. But I definitely think it's a bucket list thing. I, I, it's, a, it's a lot of fun. No question. Yeah, I got to go for those joint practices last year and oh. had a blast uh, up there. It was it was a great time. Yeah, all the neighborhood bars in the area that you can go to, like Stadium yep. View and those those places and Kroll's. Go have a burger over at Kroll's, Jeff, if you've never done that. That's fun right by the stadium. That's a, a quick walk. What, what's your what's your thing to do in Green Bay, Jeff? Do you do you go out or do you go from hotel room, stadium, hotel room, stadium? I've never been. So this will be the first oh, time. Oh, you've so never been? Out. Yeah. Yeah. This is my first. Oh. This is my first year on the sideline. Steve used to be the sideline reporter, right? So he's now I'm now I'm in that role. So I'm I'm traveling. So I'm going to all these stadiums for the first time. So it's exciting. It's like I'm taking a tour. Uh, so oh, I'll man. check out crawls. That's what I'll do. Hell yeah, yeah, yeah. No doubt that that's that's been uh, that's a, a Packer uh, game legend. And then before games, they scalp t- people scalp their tickets in there and stuff and try and sell tickets and so forth. That and then Stadium View Bar is the other one that's been there forever in a day. Uh, and they do huge parties and stuff like that. So, yeah, you'll have a good time. Gotcha. Well, Steve Sparky Pfeiffer, thanks so much. Really do appreciate it. And uh, good luck mm-hmm. this weekend. Oh, and go to the Packer Hall of Fame while you're in the stadium. Absolutely. That yeah, All that's right, man. awesome. Have a good one. Thank you, Sparky. All right. That was Steve Sparky Pfeiffer. Really great nickname. Uh, I wish I had a wish I had a nickname. I know I know Deuce is like actively trying to get a nickname. And uh, Mike's giving him Deuce Bigelow. And I, I'm just not sure that works. <laughs> Um, considering the context of it all, but you know, it's yeah. Uh, I don't think Deuce, Deuce's wife wants him to be known as Bigelow. 
<laughs> it's rough. Anyway, all right. That was, that was a long segment. We're going to come back and hit something really quick. quick. Speaking of Deuce, we're going to get his take on Kendra Miller and what he expects to see. What, you know, what, what are the struggle points? You know, we're going to talk about that. So keep it locked on Inside Black and Gold getting ready for week three Saints Packers up in Lambeau. Let's do it. Inside Black and Gold. Thanks again, Steve Sparky Pfeiffer. Love that nickname for coming on, helping breaks down what to expect with the Packers. I thought he was really, really insightful. And, you know, well, as we mentioned, we're going to talk a lot more about the running backs, Kendra Miller, in this segment. Um, you know, I'm curious what your what your take is just in general, because it's frustrating that he hasn't been out, be able to be out there the first two weeks. But what I was really impressed with with Kendra Miller in camp that I wasn't sure it was kind of a question mark. He can catch. Um, and Jamal, I think he, he was struggling to have an impact in in the passing game and in the in the run game in general. But I think Kendra is able to do things in the passing game that make him an X factor. Uh, and and I think that's what 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 stood out to me most throughout camp about him. My biggest thing going into this game for Miller is uh, how's he going to hold up with pass protection? Because we saw Tony Jones Jr. surprisingly was really effective last game, and I think it was either Coach or Carr that ended up praising him for that. Of course you have the clip. I have the clip, yeah. See, I think this is it. What did you think of Tony Jones in the run game and even, too, some of the times he was picking up the blitzes, keeping you clean? My favorite part was the blitzes. Um, you know, that's, you know, uh, you hear it all the time. You know, you, we see these really good running backs in college that have all this production, and they don't play in the NFL. And you're like, man, what happened? It was probably blitz pickup oriented, you know. And uh, Tony is unbelievable. He was on it, you know, even in the game. Uh, you know, I'm Mike and, you know, we're making Mike points. I'm like, hey, he's the Mike. And he's like, I, I'm good. Like, you know, he's on it, you know. And as a quarterback, it, it makes you feel good when your running back is excited about those plays, you know, not when he just gets to score touchdowns. And so uh, I thought it was, uh, you know, as many great runs as he had, downhill, hard-nosed runs as he had, I thought he did an even better job in pass protection. You know, the stuff that, you know, Coach Gruden would always say to our, you know, our running backs and Josh Jacobs, he said, be, be even better without the football. You know, be even better. You know, that's a challenge for all running backs. And uh, Tony, Tony takes that challenge serious. This is my favorite play. You watch Tony in this one. The guy jumps and he just says, no, get down. Um, but yeah, no, I think I think that's where it, when you're looking at Tony and you're looking at Kendra, why, you know, you're going to ask, why is Tony getting the bulk of the snaps? And it's because of the it's because of the run blocking. It's yeah, because man. Tony not only, you know, got it done, he did well. Like he, he, he did a lot better than I expected. And like Derek said, you know, it seems like he's, he, he understands what he's doing. He's not just like, there's, there's two elements to run blocking. There's being able to do it physically, which a guy like Jamal Williams can, a guy like Alvin can, and a lot of these running backs can do it physically. They're, they're built, you know, as long as they're like, that's when you look at these undersized backs, these third down backs. And you say, okay, well, can Jarek McKinnon block? He can't. He's an undersized guy that can block well. Can a guy like Deuce Vaughn, that little tiny guy on the Cowboys, can he block? I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, that's only one part of it. The other part is, does he understand the finer points of it? So he's, he's not getting baited into something that's going to allow a free rusher because he's just never seen it before. And that's the part of the game where it's like a, four, a guy who's in his fourth year and has been doing this. He's been in camp with multiple teams. He's been able to learn these offenses and learn the rush schemes and the blocking schemes. I trust him. And, and, that's, and that's an important word is trust. 
Yeah. Because if you're not getting the job done in that part of the game, you can get your quarterback killed because those guys are coming with a full head of steam. And if you whiff and they're just, you know, that, that can end the guys. I mean, look at, look at Aaron, Aaron Rodgers, right? His, his season didn't end because of turf. His season ended because of a, a free rusher to his backside that dragged him down. Um, and look at Jameis, right? Like, you know, he's running for his life and then Devin White tracks him down from behind and end of his season. So that's where you, you need to trust your running back to not fail in those scenarios. And that's where we're going to have to see with Kendra. I think a huge thing this week, too, and we heard from Dennis Allen saying, no, they weren't looking on, you know, the market to add a running back. And to add to that fact, they let a guy like Kirk Merrick go. So there's really it shows me tons of confidence in, in Tony Jones. Yeah, I, get, I, I start to wonder about what was going on with Kirk Merritt because, again, you know, we talked about this. I talked about this on, uh, you know, the last podcast is like, why is Jimmy Graham there? Um, wouldn't you be better right. off with a with an extra running back because of exactly what happened? Right. Kirk Merritt was inactive and then they cut, then they waived him. But they didn't have to waive him because they have a roster spot available. They could have held him for another week, even if they planned to waive him. They could have just held him in Alvin Kamara's spot and then waved him to bring Alvin Kamara back. So something something doesn't add up there. And so, uh, yeah, I'm not sure. But either way, let's let's hear from Deuce uh, McAllister on WWL yesterday because he had what I think is a very good breakdown talking to Bobby Bear and Mike Dettelier on uh, you know what he needs to see from Kendra and what he saw from Kendra that maybe needs to improve. And as always, you know, if you're talking about running backs and you got Deuce on. I don't know if there's anyone better to listen to to break down that position. So here you go. Deuce, we all know we're getting, uh, looking at the running back position, I always like to pick your brain with this. Uh, uh, that Alvin Kamara, we know we got one more game, then Alvin's be back in the fold. But Jamal Williams now, it looks like it might be a while. Uh, wh- where do you think we have with Kendra Miller? Yeah, he should be good to go. I mean, unless there's just something that pops up this week in practice, he should be good to go. He had a nice workout uh, before the game and uh, you know, probably could have played this past weekend, but they wanted to have him for the rest of the season. So to make sure that he's good, give him another uh, rest day or another couple rest days. But, uh, you know, he should be available this week and, you know, uh, to be able to help a little bit with that load. And the only thing with Tony, there were one or, one or two times that he's just got to see the blitz. Now, he had some outstanding blitz pickups. He had some outstanding blitz pickups. But one time, I remember for sure, he was going to help the center, and that wasn't his guy. That wasn't his gotcha. guy. And the guy the guy that was covering him ended up triggering and coming, you know, basically a green dog because he saw Tony kind of helping out and picking up the center. And they so ended did up he blitz off of that. <laughs> Yeah, and, and and so, you know, just little stuff like that. I know you want to help, but if you stay back there, now that my eyes have to be able to pick up my guy, you know, right. because uh, he's technically his guy. That wasn't his guy that he That's ended right. up helping on. The, the center was picking him up, but the guy that the center was going to or was covering Tony, the guy that was covering Tony in coverage, he saw Tony was engaged. He ended up blitzing, and he ended up picking up the sack. So just little stuff like that. Little stuff um, like that. Yeah, a little stuff like that, you know, maybe all right, we didn't go over that, but hey, look, you can't you can't mess around when somebody's that close and covering you because if you do, it's going to end up, you know, costing you where now it's a uh, it's a sack for you. Well, dude, exactly like you say, people don't realize the speed of the game. You know, you go high school, college and the pros, and when Deuce is talking about Green Dog, now that linebacker says, "Okay, I got Tony Jones Jr. one-on-one." And he's probably expecting him he's going to free release and run some kind of option route, a swing route, uh, whatever. And all of a sudden, uh, when that triggers, when he sees that he's trying to help out and going block, 
they freaking coming and they bring in the heat. That's why first things first, right, Deuce? When you talk about that's green exactly, dog, that's, 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 that's that green that's, dog. <laughs> that's exactly what it was. I mean, because he's tight enough. Now, it's one thing if you see him dropping in coverage, but he's not dropping in coverage, yeah. so that tells you he's man to man. That tells you he is waiting on you to release. But then it's one thing to throw an elbow or a shoulder and you help out that, uh, that, that, that lineman and then release, but now you get engaged completely and your eyes aren't on the guy that's right over you. The game moves too fast. He's humming. Yeah, the game moves too fast. And now, you know, if if the quarterback isn't looking for you and you don't turn and give your numbers to the quarterback immediately, it's a sack. I mean, it's it's just it's it's a sack. And so that's where the game completely slows down for you, where you can see it. Hey, look, I'm going to help my guy out. I'm going to give a little love tap to the rib. But then I'm going to go ahead and run my little option route, just like you're talking about, because he was going to release through the A or the B gap anyway. And that's exactly where the uh, pressure came from. And, and, you know, Deuce, before we let you run, that's what you were outstanding at and Mark Ingram. You know, a lot of times people don't realize uh, the importance to, to be of the it. complete running back. You know, Alvin Kamara could do that. Uh, that's why, you know, he's like, oh, he can run. Uh, you know, I don't know if he could do that. I don't know if Kendry Miller could do that. He probably would do the same thing We're as Tony. to find out. He might he probably well, do the same thing as Tony Jones. I mean, because <laughs> it comes with reps. It, it comes with experience. It comes with understanding. All right, these four are accounted for. The, the, the quarterback is going there. That means the center is going there. I've got one to two here. Two is covering the the, the, the slot receiver, so that guy is going to be covering me. I can help out a little bit, but I have to be able to get out on my route as well. And so it's a, it's a check release. I'm checking. I give a little love tap, and then I'm releasing on out the way because if you hang around, now you're going to have to end up blocking. The finer points that Deuce is bringing up there are important, right? Like we, you can't help out on the center if you have a if you have a guy green dogging you. And again, what he explained there, it's like, yeah, that guy's watching you. He's keying off of what you're doing, and he sees you engaged. So he's coming and he's blitzing the quarterback. And that's those are the things that, you know, when you come out of college and the, the defenses aren't as advanced or, you know, complex, you can get away with that kind of stuff. In the NFL, that gets your quarterback killed. So, you know, I, I think I, I think there's a lot to like about Kendra Miller, but like you you see what's going on in Detroit, right? Or, you know, at least how it was. I know David Montgomery got hurt, but, you know, it, it, or even, even in Atlanta, right? B. John Robinson isn't taking – all of the carries. You still have Tyler Algier there for specific things. In in Detroit, David Montgomery is still the lead back, and Jameer Gibbs is kind of that wild card, athletic, uh, get outside the numbers type guy. And I think that's kind of what you're going to see for a split, uh, maybe a little bit more extreme this week with Kendra. Uh, but you know, you're working him in. You want him by the by midway through the season, by the end of the season, you're hoping that there are no more concerns, and you could give him if Alvin has to miss a game. Right. Then maybe that that's the Kendra Miller game. Right. And so I think that's where you're at with him. That's definitely something I'm really interested to see going into this matchup is how much Miller time will we actually get? Because he's still coming back from that hamstring. Uh, you, you have uh, the guy that's been proven last game with Tony Jones and then still you got Taysom as well. Really actually surprised that uh, Prentice hasn't been worked in much uh, for the run game aspect, at least. Yeah, I mean, it's it's something you could do, especially in short yardage. But it's yeah, like if you're going with Taysom. Obviously, a lot of packages, but a, one or two snaps kind of thing. He was worked into some of those Taysom Hill sets. Um, and I think it's just like, are you really, you know, is it really a better option to give it to Adam? <laughs> uh, or is it better to just have him as a blocker? And I think in most cases, it's better to have him as a blocker. Um, but I do have to say, you know, you have to cut out that Miller time stuff because Bud Light is our sponsor for the pregame show. So I don't think they're going to appreciate it if – 
you start to normalize the Miller Time nickname on the Bud Light countdown to kick off. I'm just saying that now so that you don't hear that from the advertisers on right, Monday. So I'll, I'll eliminate that uh, my clever <laughs> qu- you know quip there. Unless, unless we want to try to sell the, a Miller Time, yeah, you know, a spot to, to to Miller Light. I'm just, I'm just saying, I I can see some conflict going on there, if uh, if we start hammering that Miller Time. I, I love it, but I'm, you know, I just, I'm, I'm thinking with my wallet instead of no, amen right to now. that. <laughs> All right, well, Steve, what, is there anything else you want to hit before before we go here? Um, Actually, wait, actually, wait. I, I have I have one more clip from Derek Carr that I want to play because you okay. uh, you brought it up and you sent it, so I don't want to waste it. Here's Derek Carr. This isn't a video clip. This is an audio clip talking about Kendra Miller's run style. Uh, yeah. And what you know, I think later in the year we're going to start to see this, and we're going to be really impressed. Hopefully, he can stay healthy. That's the thing with Kendra that is starting to concern me. Is came in with an injury. You know, the the, the knee injury. We he it reoccurred in camp. He came back from it. Then he got a hamstring. Is he going to be another injury-prone guy? It was the concern I had in coming in, and it's and it's definitely there. So here's here's what Derek had to say. I just want to see that violence that you know I know that he has that he runs with. Um, you know I, I just can't wait to you know see him put that on full display. And uh, when you're a rookie running back, people are coming to find you. So hopefully he tries to go find them. You know and keeps that mindset right, uh, keep that confidence. And so uh, you know hopefully if he's out there. And he gets to play. That's what I'd be looking forward to you know, to see, you know, what what he does on a game day. Uh, you know, not just a preseason game, but a real regular season game. It'd be really interesting to watch him go. Yeah, I got all excited hearing Carr say running with the violence, and then you know they're coming after you as a rookie running back, and you have to go after them. So we haven't obviously seen much of that aggression yet from Miller, but he just hasn't been available. Yes, violence as a as a running back is is nice to hear, and and it's funny because you talk about Alvin. I wouldn't consider him a violent runner. I'd consider him a smooth runner. Right. I think Jamal is the more violent runner, and so I actually like that tandem. If next year you end up with Alvin and Kendra and even Jamal still around, I really like that running back room. I too. I've heard from a couple people that Jamal. You know, it's like, well, Jamal doesn't really fit this offense, and it's like, no, he fits perfectly when he's the 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 you know counter to Alvin (laughs) he's just right now it's tough and we're gonna have to figure out without him anyway but all right that's I think that's gonna be it for us on this episode of Inside Black and Gold thanks again to Steve Sparky Pfeiffer check his podcast out if you want to hear me on his podcast I went on there yesterday it's Curtin Long and uh, you know thanks to Deuce we got some good insight from him and obviously talked to Derek so I thought this was a well a jam-packed podcast if if you will um and uh, hope you all enjoyed it I'm Jeff Nowak he's Steve Geller you can follow him on at Steve Geller WWL at Jeff underscore Noack for myself and the show is at Saints Pod. Check out WWL. Steve will be on there Friday and Sunday morning. Countdown to kickoff. He also hosts the pregame show to the pregame show. He's going to be on there with Charlie Long. He's got a long day, guys. He's a he's he's, he's a busy guy. We're talking football at least. Yeah, I'm excited. We're back to noon. Those Monday. This week has been tough. You know, we this is our third podcast in three days. We're not a daily podcast. This isn't what it's supposed to be. But when this Monday night game, it's like everything snap, snap, snap. Got to get it done. And so, I, you know, we got through this marathon week of podcasts. And, uh, you know, I think it's gone. It's gone pretty well. Uh, we won't, we didn't talk about it. We won't have Marcus May. So that's going to be the other thing we need to watch is, uh, you know, who, who steps in there. But that's, a, that's another topic for another day. Thanks, everyone, for listening. This is Inside Black and Gold. Who dat? Go Saints. 3-0. Here we come. You got it. All right, y'all. Peace. Be easy.